Hello, you're listening to the No Fucks Given podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Knight, author of the No Fucks Given Guides, a series of self-help books for people like me who hate being told what to do. Just like the books, the podcast is fun, sweary, and full of tips and techniques for giving fewer, better fucks and living your best life. Let's get to it. First and foremost, thank you so much for listening. This is episode 24 of the No Fucks Given podcast, and we are in one of my once a month, you asked for it, audio advice column episodes. So if you have sent a question, you might hear your answer today. And if you've sent a question and you haven't heard your answer yet, and you've been a loyal listener, uh, then never fear. I do get them all. I do read them all. I just get a million of them, and I'm trying to mix up the topics every week. So there's a little bit of a grab bag for everyone who's listening. So keep tuning in to the No Fucks Given podcast and keep listening for the You Asked For It monthly advice column and you may get your question answered. And finally, if you have not yet sent me a question, but you'd like to, you can email podcast at nofucksgivenguides.com. Today, I'm going to hit up several listener questions, the first of which is about giving partial fucks, circumstantial fucks, things that you don't necessarily want to completely cross out of your fuck budget, how do you deal with those? I'm going to answer a question about being unfollowed on social media, and then I'm going to answer another question about not wanting to be followed on social media. I'm going to talk about how you deal with the self-doubt that arises when you finally start to stand up for yourself using my not sorry method. Don't worry, it's natural. I can talk you through it. And I'm going to talk about making tough decisions about your future when it means letting someone else down, particularly in a professional situation. And finally, I'm going to close out the episode with how to stop giving a fuck about what the men at work think of you. Oh, and there will still be a weekly NFG tip at the end, so listen for that. Now get ready, because you asked for it. The first question this week comes from a listener who says, how do you include partial fucks in your fuck budget? Like, you don't give a fuck about things unless it's in a certain circumstance. I was writing out my fuck budget and I got stuck on a few things because it depends on the situation. Help! Okay, I started with this one because it's a very easy question for me to answer. And in case anybody doesn't know by now the concept of a fuck budget, is you take your time, energy, and money, those are your fuck bucks, and you allocate them toward things that bring you joy, and you take them away and don't spend them on things that annoy you. So this listener wants to know, well, what if it's circumstantial? What if some scenarios require me to give a fuck or I want to give a fuck, but not in other similar scenarios depending on the circumstances? And what I would say is to use yet another piece of evergreen advice that I dole out on the No Fucks Given podcast, break it down into smaller, more manageable chunks. So if you're writing out your list of things you give a fuck about and things you don't, which is something that I recommend you do when you're engaging in the process of mental decluttering that I talked about several times, uh, most recently, I think last week, actually, on the podcast, uh, Ask yourself, okay, maybe on this list is going out to dinner with family, but some of your family you do like to go out to dinner with, and it does bring you joy, and it does serve you in some way, and other members of your family you don't. So you have to break it down further, and you have to realize that under a certain set of circumstances, this wouldn't be included in your fuck budget. And now, 
probably when I spell it out like that, it seems like common sense. But I do understand that a lot of people are just not quite ready to start thinking about not giving a fuck and nor are they ready to make the decision and actually not give that fuck. So it is really important to look at it in these small, discrete, manageable chunks so that you can not suddenly feel like you're a terrible person who is disowning your entire family. You can just look at your fuck budget and say, I have plenty of fuck bucks to spend on going out to dinner with mom and dad. I do not have any fuck bucks to spend on going out to dinner with my racist Uncle Brad. And then once you've made that fuck budget and you've organized it all in your own head, you have to stick to it. So when you get invited out to dinner with mom and dad, you can say yes. You can spend that time, energy, and money on that experience. And if you get invited out to dinner with racist Uncle Brad, you can say no because you've realized that it does not fit into your fuck budget. It is not worth your time, energy, and or money. So that's one part of my answer. If you get to a point in making your fuck budget where you're not sure, divide it into smaller, more manageable chunks and put something in, you know, the yes circumstantial pile and something in the no definitely not circumstantial pile and move forward. And my second piece of advice for this listener is to remember that you get to decide They're your fuck bucks and it's your fuck budget and you can balance and rebalance it whenever you want as many times as you want. So you don't have to be drawn into a lifetime ban on dinner with racist Uncle Brad. You know, you can decide one day that this is a good use of your time, energy and money and you're going to put it back in the fuck budget and that is up to you. And finally, although this listener did not give me a specific example of what they meant by circumstances changing and different scenarios where they may or may not want to spend their fuck bucks, I'll also say this. Uh, You've heard me talk about personal policies. It was an NFG tip of the week way back when, and I've mentioned it a few times on my podcast and in my book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. And a personal policy is a great way to express your specific circumstantial no to anyone who needs to hear it where you don't also have to feel like an asshole for not saying no under other circumstances. So for example, you might have a personal policy against going to kids' ballet recitals unless it's for your niece and then you will do it. So if your friend invites you to her son's ballet recital and you don't want to go, you can say, I actually have a personal policy against attending little kid ballet recitals unless it's my niece and then I go. So what you've done is explained the circumstances under which you do and don't spend your fuck bucks on a particular activity um, that are different depending on the situation. But saying that you have a personal policy is a great way to just kind of end the conversation because it implies that you've given this a lot of thought enough to develop an actual policy about it. And I found in my experience that most people do not argue with that. All right. I hope that was a decent tutorial in giving partial circumstantial fucks and how to express the fucks that you do not want to give. Um, The next question is from a listener who says, Can you help me to not give a fuck when guys I've had a fling with unfollow me on the socials? In this particular instance, the guy deleted me but kept my friends on there. Should we even pay attention to those who choose to unfollow us? I know it shouldn't bother me, but I considered us friends and an unfollow must mean we aren't. Thanks for any advice you have. 
Well, I'm going to lead with the obvious, no holds barred, no fucks given, no nonsense answer, which is you are correct. It should not bother you. Um, I try to think about these things from my perspective when I realize that I've been unfollowed or unfriended by someone. I think about the fact that I often unfollow or unfriend people on the various social media accounts that I manage uh, for very different reasons. Sometimes it's because I fucking hate that person and I don't understand why we're connected on Facebook to begin with. You know, maybe they've gone kind of balls out on the Trumpism or the anti-vaxxing and I'm like, okay, I am super done with you. But other times I call people from my social media lists because we're not actually real life friends. You know, they were professional connections and I've sort of decided over time that I might want to narrow my Facebook friendships down to people with whom I've actually had dinner in the past or would do so again. And that's not saying anything bad about the person that I unfriended or unfollowed or whatever you call it on TikTok. Anyway, take it back to how you feel about doing the unfriending and unfollowing, why you do that sort of thing. And realize that if you're anything like me, you do it for all kinds of reasons and it doesn't have to mean anything big. You know, it could be that that guy was really into you and he just couldn't handle seeing you live in your life after you had your fling. You know, maybe he was a little jealous. Maybe he was a little sad. Uh, it could be that he clicked unfollow in a fit of pique and he regrets it now, but he's too embarrassed to try to follow you again. You know, there's all kinds of weird etiquette that goes on in social media. And I think that a lot of us just spend way too much time going down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out what other people mean and what other people want and what their actions indicate. Uh, so I say, no, don't worry about it at all. You shouldn't spend any time worrying about it. Definitely should not be a line item in your fuck budget. But if you're having a hard time getting there, again, just think about the reasons that you may or may not follow, unfollow, unfriend, mute somebody on social media. And that it often has to do with, you know, your own version of self-care, your own version of organizing your life. And uh, and it's nothing personal most of the time. And if it is something personal, then it's probably not somebody that you want to be friends with anyway in real life. So why do you fucking care if they follow you on Twitter? Kind of makes a lot of sense when I put it that way now. Um, coming up next, I'm going to answer another question about social media from a different perspective. Somebody who wants to be out there and be being followed but is uncomfortable with the whole shebang. Uh, but first, I just want to remind you that if you are digging the You Asked For It segment and you want to send me your own question, you can email podcast at nofucksgivenguides.com or you can go to my website, nofucksgivenguides.com, and fill out the form there. And you can also get the show notes for all of the episodes and you can find out more about all of my No Fucks Given guides, the books, the journals, the calendar, um, and sign up for my No Fucks Given newsletter. So coming up after the break, I am going to answer another question about social media, and this one is a little bit more complicated. Okay, next question. It's a long one. There's a lot going on in here, and I think it's a really good one, and I'm glad that they wrote to me. This person says, I really need help with the one thing I've struggled with giving absolutely no fucks about the last few years. Showing up on social media. Ugh. I'm a lifelong introvert and have confidence issues as well, so I prefer to be behind the scenes and not in the spotlight. But I recently started an interior design business after dreaming about it for 15 years, and I've also been running an interior design blog for the past two years, which continues to grow. Social media is the part that I really suck at, because in order to be successful on any social media channel, 
you have to show up pretty much every day. And since interior design is such a visual medium, Instagram in particular is a very important marketing tool for interior designers. But whenever I think about putting myself out there on Instagram, especially if it's a photo of me, I just feel like a giant douchebag because it feels so narcissistic to my warped brain and I can't seem to get past this fucked up mindset of mine to the detriment of my fledgling business. I would love to learn how to eliminate this stupid thing that's potentially holding back the growth of my new business and learn how to just not give a flying fuck about what my brain is mistakenly telling me is true. Whoa, okay, like I said, that was a lot, and I want to try to hit a lot of these points. Um, First of all, congratulations on starting your design business, especially if you've been dreaming about doing so for 15 years. And congratulations on having a two-year-old blog that continues to be successful. Um, It's really great that you decided to go forward and do all of that stuff when you knew the whole time that social media was going to be part of it, like you said. Any kind of fledgling entrepreneurial business, but especially one that's such a visual medium, uh, is probably going to depend on social media, one channel or another, to help boost your visibility. The second thing I will say is, I get it, man. Um, I wouldn't call myself an introvert necessarily, but like, I did not know how much work social media was going to be when I started using it for my business. I loved Twitter 10 years ago when it was just me tweeting into the void with no followers. I really loved Instagram when I started using it, I don't know, six or seven years ago, just as me. Uh, But once I started having to maintain all kinds of social media feeds for my no fucks given guides, uh, for the podcast, for events, for everything, it really became overwhelming. And you also, you know, do start to feel like you're a little bit of a narcissist just out there tooting your own horn all the time to get people riled up about your business and, you know, want to want to come seeking out what you have to offer. It does feel weird. So I totally get it. But on the other hand, it is the name of the game. You know, self-promotion is a necessary aspect of any kind of business. And when I was a book editor for 15 years in New York City, I was always giving my writers advice about this. You know, not everyone is a natural on Instagram. Not everyone is a natural at Twitter, but you do have to be able to talk about your work, even if that's just to somebody in an elevator, even if it's to an important magazine editor at a party, if it's to a group of 20 people at a reading. um, You do need to be able to talk about what you do and kind of sell it to other people on a small or large scale. So I consider social media and self-promotion to be a necessary evil. And the issue for you, it sounds like, is how do you use it that minimizes that annoy uh, and maximizes your joy? The joy being getting new clients because you have increased your following and people are engaging with you and you're getting recommendations. Um, You know, that's why you're doing it. You're not doing it for any other reason. So I would say the best thing for you to do is really focus on the minimal amount that you can do to keep your stuff out there in front of people and especially in front of the right people. That said, there also are no rules. Do not listen to anybody who tells you that you have to do X, Y, and Z to stay on top of the algorithm. First of all, nobody really knows what the algorithm is. Second of all, it changes all the fucking time. You know, two years ago, Facebook groups were going to take over the world. So I had to start a no fucks given Facebook group. 
Uh, but that's different than the no fucks given Facebook fan page. And, you know, all of this stuff just changes all the time. So don't listen to anybody who tells you you must do this. You must do that. You have to post once or three times a day. Uh, you have to post at a certain time of day. And certainly don't listen to the people who say you have to post pictures of yourself. Have I found that pictures of my smiling mug uh, tend to get more engagement on Instagram? Sure they do, but that doesn't mean that I have to do it if I don't want to. And just personally speaking, I follow a lot of designers on Instagram. I'm a little bit of a design hound, and I can actually only think of one of them that regularly post images of their own face. Everybody else is, uh, is the interiors that they've designed. So I don't think that you need to worry about doing that, especially if it's the thing that's giving you the absolute most agita. Just cross it off your list. Don't do it. You have a personal policy against posting pictures of your face on Instagram. That's fine. In fact, I think in your case, letting the work speak for itself is the best possible thing you could be doing, you know, because that's what clients are going to want from you. They're going to want to see your design. They're not really going to want to care about, you know, seeing you eat lunch or whatever else you might feel compelled to post on the gram. So I think what you should probably consider is, you know, treating this like any other aspect of the job, divorcing yourself from these personal feelings of lack of confidence or these personal feelings of seeming like a giant douchebag. And remember that promotion is part of any successful business. So this is your job and that's why you're doing it. And everybody understands that. They really do. I mean, do you go around thinking that people are narcissistic douchebags that you follow on Instagram who are posting about their successful business? Probably not. Um, and so, you know, think of it as a work thing that you have to do and do the minimum. It's kind of like in uh, an office space, excellent workplace movie. Just wear the minimum amount of flair to get your stuff out there. It doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be multiple times a day. It doesn't have to be pictures of your face. It just has to be your work in a public forum that people can engage with and that acts as a calling card for you. And I think that if you look at it that way, you can really reduce a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the extraneous fuck bucks, especially that time and energy that you've been spending worrying about this. It's just part of the job. Just get it done, maybe first thing in the morning, and then you don't have to think about it again until tomorrow. That's what I do. Okay, next question. This is a fun one. It's from a 16-year-old who says, I just found your books and your new podcast. I'm so happy to be giving those fewer, better fucks you're always going on about. For a question, though, how do you deal with the anxiety and self-doubt that can come up when you really start to stand up for yourself and your time, energy, and money? I'm doing my best, but sometimes it's hard not to question whether I'm making the right choices. Thank you. You're awesome. No, thank you, anonymous listener. You're awesome. I'm so excited to hear that somebody in the prime of their young adult life is finding the No Fucks Given podcast and finding the whole concept of not giving a fuck and giving fewer better fucks useful. Uh, and it is totally, absolutely, 100% natural to be experiencing anxiety and self-doubt when you go out in the world and you start to stand up for yourself. And you start to not only set boundaries for yourself, but enforce them with other people. You're going to feel nervous. You're going to feel guilty. In fact, that's why you haven't been doing it up until now, because you've let those bad feelings prevent you 
from setting and enforcing the boundaries that you really need. So it makes total sense that you would be experiencing some doubt, uh, some reservations, some potential regret. What if I'm doing the wrong thing? And there's a couple of different ways to deal with that. First and foremost, sometimes you are doing the wrong thing. Oh my God, you're going to live your life not doing the right thing every single time. Uh, So I think 16 years old is an absolutely fantastic time to learn that sometimes you're going to make the wrong choice and you are going to regret it and you have the opportunity to make a different choice next time. So if you're experiencing anxiety and self-doubt and you're wondering if you're about to make the wrong choice, make the choice and then see what happens. And the consequences of that decision are going to inform whether you realize you did the right thing this whole time, whether you wish you had done it a long time ago, or whether, you know what, hold up, that wasn't actually the right choice for me or for somebody else, and I'm going to do it differently next time. There is a learning curve here, and there is no shame in that game. The real key here is to make the choice, to take the action. And I actually talked about this last week in the evolution of a freakout where I explained that when you start having a what if, and a worry, if you don't take action to solve that problem, that's when you wind up freaking out. And it's when you wind up in this cycle of indecision that doesn't improve your life in any way, shape, or form. So when you're feeling the anxiety about standing up for yourself, when you're feeling the doubt about whether you're about to do the right thing, still take the action and do the thing. And occasionally, you will realize you have made a mistake, and that's okay. But I think that much more often you are going to experience only good consequences. If you're budgeting your time, energy, and money, if you are living your life more about what brings you joy and less about what annoys you, if you are setting healthy boundaries with the people around you, then you really are making the right choices. And my personal feeling, having been doing this hardcore for five or six years now and heard from thousands of readers all around the world about how not giving a fuck and the not sorry method and mental decluttering has worked for them, is that you're going to find out that for the most part, you're making the right decision and nobody's really going to give you a hard time about it. And you're going to get to move on with your life having learned this at 16 instead of having learned it around 36 when I did. So you know, understand that your anxiety is normal. Make the decision anyway. Be okay with the fact that maybe sometimes you'll wish you'd made a different decision and learn from it, but expect and anticipate that it is going to turn out well for you and that is going to help motivate you to keep doing it over and over again. Okay, I hope that was helpful. Uh, Go out there and keep doing what you're doing. And the next question also has something to do with a little bit of self-doubt and anxiety in making a decision. And this one is about the professional realm. So that's coming up next. Okay, to this next listener, whoever you are, I want to apologize because I'm just getting to this question now and I see that it came in back in April. So you probably already had to make some decisions. But if you haven't yet, or if you want some uh, impartial feedback still, or uh, if you have to make this kind of decision again in the future, I still thought it would be useful to answer your question, particularly for anybody else who might be in this situation. The question is, 
I am a pre-med student currently taking a few gap years prior to applying to medical school so that I can gain research experience and retake a few classes. After I graduated, I begrudgingly moved back to my hometown and spent days upon days applying for jobs for about two months. I finally received a research position at a local university. I've been working here for about three weeks, and while the position has the potential for good connections, it hasn't turned out to be everything I wanted. I simply don't feel I'm being immersed in the research as much as I wanted, and I feel like I'm doing the same thing every day. Recently, a job I interviewed with around the same time as my current job gave me an offer. It's on the other side of the country, in a state that I've been wanting to move to because of the specific medical schools I plan to apply to there. On top of that, the company is tied to the number one medical school on my list, and the research is in a field I plan to go into post-medical school during residency programs. I really want to resign from my current job and take the one I really want, but I'm afraid of letting my principal investigator down, burning a bridge with that university, and potentially reaping any negative repercussions professionally from the move. How would you suggest handling this situation? Is there any way for me to do this without making an extremely poor-formed move? Well, again, let me say that I'm sorry it took me this long to get to your question, and I hope that you have already made the move, because that would have been my advice, which is to take the job that you were offered in the place where you want to be that's associated with the school you want to go to and the field that you want to work in. It's kind of a no-brainer to me, but on the other hand, I have totally been where you are, where you've accepted a job and you feel loyal to that employer, and you don't want to burn any bridges, and you don't want to leave them in the lurch, and it can give you this sort of heart-pounding, stomach-churning feeling that you now have to go out there and do something to someone or to an institution uh, that is not going to be happy about it. But the, the basic balance here between giving a fuck and not giving a fuck and living your life toward joy and away from annoy is, is making this decision better for me than it is worse for someone else? And the fact is that an employer will always find a replacement. It might be inconvenient. They might be a little miffed. They might not care at all. But one way or another, they're going to just refill the position. So if you need to leave after three weeks for a better opportunity, you leave after three weeks for a better opportunity. And if you're concerned about burning bridges, the best way to make your decision and carry it out is to make that decision selfishly and then carry it out as unselfishly as possible. Give them as much notice as you can. Craft a really respectful letter. You know, don't be a weirdo about it. Uh, Don't be an asshole about it. Don't sneak out in the middle of the night like a thief. But it seems to me like particularly someone like you who's been on this hunt for these high-level positions in the medical field and intends to go to medical school probably has a pretty good head on their shoulders when it comes to writing a well-crafted letter of resignation and explaining your reasons in a way that's really respectful and is going to be understood by the person that you are explaining them to. So if you're concerned about burning bridges, be honest and polite, which is the advice I always give. But if you're still worried about it, Just think about how many bridges there are. And again, I've been in your situation. I've thought, if I say this thing, do this thing, don't take this opportunity, turn down this opportunity, and yes, even if I leave a job that I pretty much just got for a better job that came along, 
am I going to completely burn the bridge of this relationship with this employer or with this institution going forward? And I have reminded myself that there are so many bridges in the world. And that if worse comes to worse, and I have been blackballed from a particular hiring manager or a particular company, I'm going to be fine. It's going to be okay. And it's probably not the type of person or company that I would have wanted to work for anyway. And you know, last thing I'll say about this is that it occurs to me that it ties in with FOMO, which is something I've talked about a lot on the podcast and particularly with reference to saying no to something. You have this fear of missing out. So you say yes to things that you don't really want to do. And in your case, you have this fear of missing out on the relationship that you already built with the first job that you took. And you're afraid that telling them you don't want to be there anymore is going to negatively impact that relationship. And the advice I give when I talk about, you know, saying no when you mean it, when you don't want to say yes, and not giving into your FOMO in a professional or a personal situation is to be explicit and actually tell the person that you have this FOMO. Go to the boss of the job that you've been in for three weeks and say, I have been staying up at night trying to figure out what to do about this situation I find myself in. And at the end of the day, I really feel that I need to resign this position in order to be able to take advantage of this job that has come my way that has all of these opportunities that tick all of these boxes for me, but I am afraid that leaving you in the lurch will sour our relationship going forward, and I value this relationship, and I would love to be able to come back here one day, and I want to let you know that I've been very anxious about this, but I still think I need to make the decision that's right for me. And often, if you are just explicit about your FOMO, you're honest about it, you put it out there, it's very disarming to the person on the other end. Most people don't want to make you feel any worse than you've showed up in their office feeling at the moment. And again, if they do, if that's the kind of employer you're dealing with, then you were better off without them in the first place. So whoever you are, I would love to know if you're listening, uh, if you could write to me podcast at nofucksgivenguides.com and tell me what decision you made since my advice didn't come to you for at least eight weeks after you asked for it. I'd be very curious to know and also whether you found this answer helpful either now or in retrospect. Um, Moving on to my last question before we get to the NFG tip of the week. Uh, This is a fun one. The listener says, I work in a predominantly male-dominated field and occasionally fill in as a supervisor. I find that I'm more afraid to confront and be direct with the men than the other females I work with. My question is, how do I stop giving a fuck about what the men at work think of me? And my answer is, it's the exact same way you stop giving a fuck about what anybody thinks of you. I actually touched on this in a recent episode called Making Your Fuck Budget Work at Work, where I talked about the likability vortex and how we get so mired in this idea of people liking us and this fear that they don't like us that we forget to do our jobs correctly and properly and successfully and be worthy of respect. Because being worthy of respect is something you can control. If you're doing a good job, then you are worthy of respect. But whether people like you is not something you can control. Can you contribute to whether somebody likes you because you're generally a nice person or you do them a favor or you're funny or you're a good lunch date? Sure, but in the end, 
you cannot control whether someone else likes you. They might not like you for any one of a host of reasons that there's nothing you could even do about even if you understood them. So it's very important in the workplace or anywhere else to remember, you can't control whether people like you and that's how you stop giving a fuck about it. You give your fucks, you spend your precious time, energy, and money on being worthy of respect. Now, all of that said, I do understand as a woman who was working in the corporate world for 15 years before going freelance uh, to work for myself, that there can be differences of how we act and behave and how we feel when we are dealing with female coworkers versus male coworkers. Uh, I do get it. However, I don't think that I have any better advice to give than Michelle Obama already gave. Uh, so I'm going to close out this answer with a quote from Michelle Obama from an interview, I believe, in Newsweek, where she was talking to young women, particularly women of color, who feel like they're not good enough, feel like they're being silenced, feel like they have to tread lightly in their workplaces and in these corridors of power. And Michelle Obama was talking about the men who inhabit those workplaces and those corridors of power. And she said, I have been at probably every powerful table that you can think of. I have worked at nonprofits. I have been at foundations. I have worked in corporations, served on corporate boards. I have been at G summits. I have sat in at the UN. They are not that smart. So take it from me or take it from Michelle Obama if you'd rather, but there is just no reason for you to be any less confident when dealing with the men in your workplace, any less direct, any less confrontational, because they are not inherently better than you. They're not inherently smarter than you. And in fact, many of them probably aren't that smart at all. So just go out there, do a good job, and remember, you can't make them like you. You probably can't even make them respect you, but you sure as fuck can respect yourself. All right, so that will do it for the Q&A portion of this week's No Fucks Given podcast. I'm going to do a little recap of everything we talked about today and move on to the NFG tip of the week. Episode 24 featured half a dozen listener questions, including about giving partial or circumstantial fucks, where I advised that it is your fuck budget and you can do with it whatever you want. But if you need to make some distinctions between a thing that you will do under certain circumstances and never under other circumstances, just make those distinctions. If you're making your list, if you're cleaning out your mental barn, if you're allocating your fuck budget, just know that it's a sometimes yes and it's a sometimes no. And when in doubt, develop a personal policy. I answered a question about whether you should give a fuck about being unfollowed on social media, and that is a resounding no from me. And I answered a question about knowing that you need to be followed on social media and feeling uncomfortable about it. And I really hope that that person was listening and that they came away with some pretty practical advice from somebody who has been there and has been working on managing got at least six social media accounts for the better part of the last decade, um, you got to set some boundaries. You got to realize it's all part of the job. Do the minimum that you need to do to get the effect that you're going for. And don't listen to anybody else who tells you that there are rules. Um, talk to a 16-year-old fan about dealing with the self-doubt that comes up when you finally start standing up for yourself 
Hope that that person walks away with uh, some good life lessons. And talked about making tough decisions about your future for that pre-med student who wanted to uh, take a new research position after having already accepted another one. You might be letting somebody else down, but you do it as unselfishly and as respectfully as possible. And if you're worried about burning bridges, just say that. Just tell somebody you're worried about burning that bridge, and they'll probably tell you it's going to be okay. Unless they're a total asshole, in which case you have dodged a bullet. And finally, I talked about how to stop giving a fuck about what the men at work think of you, which is the same way you stop giving a fuck about what anybody else thinks. So I hope you guys got some solid info from today's You Asked For It audio advice column. And if you are deeply into this shit, you can get more. Go back and listen to episodes 4, 8, 12, 16, and 20. They feature topics like getting out of a workplace rut, coping with a partner's anxiety, maintaining friendships while protecting your alone time, and telling aggressive huggers to back the fuck off. That was one of my favorites. You can go to nofucksgivenguides.com and get all the show notes and binge away. And now it's time for the NFG tip of the week. I chose this tip today because it fits thematically with some of the answers I gave, and that is failure is an option. I know a lot of us think it isn't. A lot of us have had it drilled into our heads by teachers or coaches or, I don't know, police captains or whatever the top-ranking army sergeant guy is. Failure isn't an option. It is, except that failure is an option. Once you accept that you might fail at something, you get out of that analysis paralysis that I was talking about earlier, that indecision that leads to freaking out. You've accepted that failure is an option, so you're going to move forward and make your decision or take your action, and then you'll see what the consequences are after that. But essentially, your time, energy, and money, your fuck bucks, are better spent on pursuing your goals in the here and now than worrying about and freaking out about potential future failure in the abstract. If it happens, it happens, and you'll deal with it then. But if you've accepted that failure is an option, that is half the battle right there. Like maybe two-thirds of the battle. So that's your NFG tip of the week, my little fucklings. Accept that failure is an option. And that'll do it for episode 24. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for following the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your shows so you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard, would you please throw me a rating or a review? We're so close to a thousand ratings on Apple Podcasts. I'd love to see us hit that mark by next week. Visit No Fucks Given Guides for the show notes, more information on my books, sign up for my newsletter and all of that. And until next week, I'm Sarah Knight. No fucks given, not sorry. Sorry.